is hope. And we are going to help push the curriculum and help translate it because they do not have the options like we do to go into Barnes & Noble and pick your 10 different Lisa Turkers books or whichever one. It's just not possible. Like, they don't have that luxury. But first, I'm just going to talk about a little bit about Rwanda. So it is located in Central Africa. It is one of the world's smallest countries in like African mainland. The population is estimated to be a little over 11 million people. And it is one of the youngest populations in Africa due to the genocide. There was over 400,000 orphans left behind and the majority of them now are the adults and they are what they're calling the new Rwanda. So essentially what happened was in, in April of 94 on the 6th, the Rwandan president's plane was shot down and there was no survivors and this essentially sparked the movement that happened in the genocide. So within that day, there was a series of government official murders and it just spiraled within the two days a full-blown genocide had taken place. So there was two distinct tribes. There was the Hutu and the Tutsis. So essentially what happened was the Hutus were trying to take over the government. So the Hutus' goal was to kill every living Tutsi, whether man, woman, or child, in Rwanda. So the Hutu government officials used a radio to call to arms the ordinary citizens to go to their neighbors and check, and if they were Tutsi, you were to kill them. And their reward would be with food or money or to them themselves not be killed. So essentially how you knew if you were Hutu or Tutsi, in the 60s, the Belgian government was over Rwanda. They issued ID cards, and on your ID card, you would have You'd say your name, where you were from, and then instead of just your address, it would identify you as a social class, and essentially that was Hutu or Tutsi. So the Belgian government had favored the Tutsis highly, which caused resentment. And when the Belgian government left, the Hutus were left in charge. So they think that the genocide was being like thought up for years, but they couldn't pinpoint when, and the assassination was the pinpoint and the spiraling point. But in all of this, in all the killings, the majority of the world, specifically the Western world and the UN, turned their backs on the Rwandan people and ignored it. So there was nearly two million refugees fled Rwanda in 94, and they all fled to the Congo. And what happened was, though, that was a majority of the Hutus, which the Hutus were 80% of the population. So if you did not want to be partaking in the genocide, essentially your choice was join the side, or you'd be killed, or you would fl have fled. So what happened was, so nearly two million left, and then a million of the Tutsis were killed which they were only less than 20% of the population, and then there was an indigenous people group as well there, and nearly um, a third of their group was killed off. So in the end, there was thousands of widows left behind, 400,000 orphans who were forced to become the heads of households. So what does this do, or what are we gonna do with it now? So it shows that we all need discipleship. These were two Christian tribes that did not have Jesus rooted in the center of their hearts, and it shows what can happen when we let the lies of the enemy creep in and we forget who all is our family. Africa's hope has a goal to change what had happened. 
they have a seven-year discipleship curriculum that will take them through daily, through Genesis to Revelations, and it is being translated into their heart language. They don't have the opportunity to have that right now because they do not have any of the curriculum that they need. They need more than just the Sunday morning pulpits. They need their daily, every life being rooted in Christ, and they can only have that if they're able to understand it in their own tongue. So second part I want to talk about is our trip. We are going to serve and we'll be hosting a women's leadership conference in Rwanda. This will be the first one that they've ever done since the genocide and it is a really exciting time for the Rwandan women. This will be open to all cross denominations. It's not just the Assemblies of God and it is going to be open nationwide. Every church will be invited. There also will be government officials invited as well. So due to the genocide, the male population is very low in Rwanda, specifically in the age group where you can hold government positions. So many of them are women. So a lot of those women will be there and are invited. The majority of the people attending the conference and why the genocide is so important to understand is these are all the orphans that were left due to the genocide. And they are now the adults, and they are the ones that we need to train up and be able to have the knowledge in their heart. So the Rwanda church just needs our help in one, like the funds to be able to have their curriculum, and two, they really just want a leadership conference to be put on. So this will be the first one held It'll be a two-day conference, and we will essentially be packing a conference on an airplane and flying it over to Rwanda, and we will just be going with what the missionaries say. So essentially, our guidance will be from them, and they're going to tell us how to relate what we are doing in Minnesota through Thrive and how to relate it to the Rwandan culture. And then on our last days, we will be all splitting up into groups of two and three after the conference, and we will go out into local churches, and we'll have the opportunity to speak and to share our testimonies and preach on the Sunday mornings. So our most important goal, though, is to go into Rwanda, serve the missionaries, uplift them, and give them an applicable conference to their culture, their age group, and show them how to be like leaders in Christ in the best way we possibly can and give them the tools that they need and that we know that they can use to accomplish what God has started. So now I'm going to turn it over to Marie. Yes, this is our tag, tag team opportunity here for uh, Allison and I. So um, I, and I'm going to share a bit from the word this morning about this. And, and Lord, I just ask for your uh, anointing to be on this message, on your word as we, as, uh, we uh, gather together, Lord, and, and be with you and hear from you. So, amen. Now, a mission trip is not to be confused with a vacation. Because if you go on a vacation to a foreign country, you see the best of that country. But if you go on a mission trip, you tend to see the worst of the country. If you go on a mission trip, um, you know, uh, if you're going on vacation, you are with people who are used to being with Americans, serving Americans. But on a mission trip, you might be going into areas where they've never even met an American. Um, on a vacation, you eat in nice restaurants. On a mission trip, you eat what's served before you, no matter what it is. <laughs> 
in, on a vacation, you stay in nice hotels. On a mission trip, you stay where it's the cheapest. Uh, if you go on a vacation, you go to relax. But if you go on a mission trip, you go to work. Uh, if you go on a vacation, you spend money on souvenirs. When you go on a mission trip, you spend money on these needs that are before you. On a vacation, you see what the tourism trade wants you to see. But on a, mission, on a mission trip, you see what the missionary wants you to see. But I know, and I've been on a lot of mission trips, the best vacation you'll ever have is a mission trip. And so we're going, and you've heard these facts about Rwanda and what happened there. And uh, uh, there's two movies that were out. One was a Christian movie that was just recently released called Beautifully Broken, and that uh, is a really good movie. I just watched that a couple weeks ago. And the other one uh, was a Hollywood-produced movie called Hotel Rwanda, and that really gets into it's the truth of what happened there. And so you might want to check those out. But you may have the questions of why did this happen, uh, why should we care, and why we should go? And so I'm going to talk those three, mention those three questions and try to answer them. So the first one is, why did this happen? And there has always been a battle between good and evil. Every Hollywood movie you find, it's a battle between good and evil, whether it's, it's in the Star Wars and, and truth and... and um, imagination, people's imaginations. There's always battles between good and evil. And the main answer is evil got the upper hand in Rwanda in those, in those years. Ephesians 6.12 says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know that there's spiritual things that are happening across the world that are promoting an evil and, and are out to get God's people. And that's what happened there. But we know that the promise of Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So we always know whenever evil rises, and I saw a meme a couple weeks ago that said, there's always going to be evil, but and it may look like evil wins, but it doesn't. God wins. God always wins in the end. And, and so evil personifies itself in people who are, yield themselves to, to evil, to the darkness. And, you know, you may have heard from secular humanists or from atheists that, well, religion, that's the reason that so many wars, it's because of religion. All wars are over religion. And that is simply not true. If, if that's a myth. Actually, um, according to um, a fact check, it's not simply true. There is an article that was I, I read a couple years ago by Robin Shoemaker put out in 2012. And there's actually an encyclopedia of wars. It's a $300 set to get this encyclopedia of wars. It studies every war that was fought from, from when they were keeping records of wars until um, 2004. And, and of these 1,763 wars studied in this volume, um, 123 were over religion. So percentage-wise, 7% of war 
is due to religion conflicts. And of that 7%, 4% is due to um, Islamic influences, and the other 3% of, of wars that are, are from for relig other religion pur religious purposes. And so 93% of wars are over power, control, greed, land disputes. That's the pr primary reason of war. And so what happened in Rwanda really has happened all over the world, all over history. I mean, you can read about it. And the seven worst dictators where lives were lost were all in the last 100 years. Um, the number one worst dictator where the most lives were lost was Joseph Stalin. Um, you know, he was a communist. He was the, was the worst. There was um, 42 million people that died in, in Russia. Mao Zedong in China, 37 million died. Adolf Hitler, we all, maybe even I, my father fought in, in um, World War II. 20 million, almost 21 million died in Germany under Adolf Hitler. Chiang Kai-shek, over 10 million died in China and he was about the same time as Mao Zedong. Um, Vladimir Lenin, four million in Russia. Haidiki Toju, almost four million in World War II from Japan. Um, Pol Pot, um, the Cambodian killing fields. That was two, two million died there. And so this Rwandan genocide, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. World War I was, again, triggered by uh, um, Arch the Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria was assassinated by a Serbian terrorist group over land issues. What's the common denominator? Well, Jesus said it in, in Mark 7, 21 through 23. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all these evils come from inside and defile a person. And then again in James it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet what you cannot get, what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And what is this is saying? It's it, People have in their hearts, in their thoughts, have this thought in their hearts. My race, my culture, my politics, my gender, my way of doing things is superior to yours. Therefore, I can do what I want to get my way because I'm always right. That's the sin nature at its worst. Yourself, right. So, you know, no, you're not. We're not, you're not right. I'm not always right. And it's one of these sins is arrogance is what, Jesus, what um, is mentioned in James. And this is in the heart of mankind. And I've told this story before, but I, it's a great example. When I was doing daycare in the infant room in St. Anthony, Minnesota, in down in um, St. Anthonyville in Minnesota, um, two infants, 12 months old, 
were playing tug of war over a book. And the name of the book was Taking Turns. <laughs> and so it's in our hearts to want what we want when we want it because we want it, just because we want it. Now Jesus goes and he tells the story of the, the Good Samaritan. And, and I, I want to dig into this portion, of this portion of scripture, this parable. And I'll read it. It's in, in um, uh, what is it again? Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Very telling question there, I thought. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds and poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Well, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus is telling them that if you love God, then you have to love your neighbor. Even if your neighbor is from a different culture, a different race, or even if you disagree with their theology. He was robbed and became poor and needy due to the sinful acts of another. So the good Samaritan, he helped, he, he helped this man in two ways. The first was the immediate need. It was an emergency situation. He saw it, he helped. He poured oil and wine on the wound, put him on a donkey, brought him into town. He, and then he helped. The second way he helped was in the short term. And the short term was, okay, he paid for the man to be cared for after he left. Gave him an extra amount of money, the two denarii, which I believe is a day's wage, so two days' wages. And so, you know, Jesus was commending the Good Samaritan in this parable, in this story, that he went, did the first thing, he responded to the immediate need, then he also invested in helping him with the, with the, uh, secondary help with the short-term need. And, and so, you know, when there's an immediate need, we, a lot of times we, the Red Cross rush, rushes in, you know, we might help with Convoy of Hope or Samaritan's Purse or one of these organizations that's on the ground that can help the immediate need in an initial disaster. And, and then we have our own, you know, little crises in our own um, neighborhoods. Um, that kid a couple weeks ago from Becker who was lost in the cornfield, 
And have you heard about this? And a thousand people came out to save the six-year-old boy and to search for him, and he was huddled down with his dog in the cornfield, and this is just a couple weeks ago in, in, um, from Becker. And, and so, wow, that, that was, we responded with that immediate need. So the short-term help was, you know, was there, and, or the, the immediate crisis was there, but there was no need for a, a secondary long-term help. Okay, the kid probably learned his lesson on his own to not wander in the cornfield at night. And so, but the second, the second term help is getting people to, um, to do that extra thing, go that extra mile, like the Samaritan did. He helped with the short-term need. Now, um, you know, what are some other short-term needs? Well, like the dormitory, we learned from Timothy, uh, Pastor Timothy in, Ug in Uganda, that when, you know, the immediate need was to put out the fire. The secondary need, the short-term need is, okay, we need to rebuild that, that dormitory and, so that they can carry on the, on the work. And so, you know, short-term could be sending meals, you know, in your own crisis, sending meals, helping people out until they can get back up on their feet. Um, but there is, you know, there is a way to fix things, which is kind of like the third step, and long-term help, and fixing the problem so it doesn't happen again. Now, uh, an example, and, and Jesus is commending, of course, the Good Samaritan with um, helping with the immediate need, helping with the, third, with the, with the short-term help. And if Jesus would have gone on with the story, a third term would have been, okay, let's fix the problem on the Jericho Road where there's always all this crime. <laughs> that would have been the long-term fix. And so the long-term fix is fixing the problem so that it doesn't happen again. And, you know, if lightning strikes your house and there's a fire, you put out the fire. The secondary short-term fix is, okay, you've got to clean up the mess. And the third long-term fix is fixing the roof so it doesn't keep raining and, or, you know, pouring in. And so in what we're doing with the long-term fix for Rwanda is simply just discipleship. It's, it's teaching. It's preventing the problem from happening again, and teaching people a better way, teaching people God's way of doing things. There's a saying that is a common saying, give a boy a fish, and he eats for a day. You teach him to fish, and he eats for a lifetime. Okay, you give him the tools and train him so he can teach other people how to fish, you feed the whole nation. And that's what we are, are wanting to do is not only fix the problem, fix it so that it doesn't happen again through discipleship. So, so why should we go? Or, you know, what happened? Evil. Why should, we, why should we care? Jesus tells us we need to care. So why should we go? And... and and that answer is, you know, found in the famous missionary verse that is quoted all the time by missionaries, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples. Disciples training, teaching all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we all have our own mission fields. We all have um, our friends, our family, our community that don't know the Lord. You know, and we have our own mission field here, here in greater Minnesota. Um, you know, we, we talked about this Becker boy. Um, that thousand people came out to, to help him. They, they tallied. And, you know, and that's so Minnesotan. And another thing, and it's an interesting thing, is this week, if you subscribe to, I don't subscribe, but I get the notices for articles in the St. Cloud newspaper. And if you get the news, St. Cloud newspaper, there was a series of four articles that were published this week, and I haven't read them all, but I read a couple of them. And, and this was very in-depth into the Somali community and, and how they are thriving in, in, in St. Cloud. And they interviewed this woman that I thought was, was um, telling on, on both ends, the best of Minnesota and also kind of the worst of Minnesota. And in this article, she said, um, she got the only kindness that she, this Somali woman, and she was a college graduate, she was working a job um, in social work, and the only kindness that she had ever felt in Minnesota was the time her car got stuck in the snow. And out of the blue, all these people came out and pushed her out of the snowbank and got her on her way. And she said, that was the only kindness I've ever seen from a Minnesotan. And the worst thing is, is like she, and then she went into itemize all the things like go home, no immigrant, no woman wants to be told just go home. And so, the, and she talked about all the cruel things that happened to her in her life of growing up in, in from the Somali community in St. Cloud. And so that is so not Minnesotans. We should be welcoming as a Christians, we should be taking the advantage to show kindness, taking the advantage to disciple, taking the advantage with them coming here to show them the better way, show them God's way. And so according to the story in the, the Good Samaritan, it's like the Samaritans were, were hated, and they did better by helping, the Samaritan man did better by helping somebody else whose theology he didn't agree with, whose race was different than his, whose culture was different than his. And so I look at, you know, I look through the eyes. I'm a missionary wannabe. Um, when I look at scripture, I, I look through the eyes of a missionary. I look at through the eyes of winning the world. And that's how I was seeing this story of the Good Samaritan. And so the bottom line, the theme of this project is the faith of Rwanda, which was supposed to have been a Christian nation, they claimed Christianity as their national religion, these two tribes that hated each other. And the bottom line was a, a mile wide and an inch deep. And we can look at the explanations and the backgrounds and the culture wars and the, 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 the evil that was still in the roots of their hearts. And it should never have happened. It should never have happened because they should have had the discipleship to love one another, which is what Jesus told us to do. So that third level of involvement is fixing the problem so it doesn't happen again. And that's what Allison and I are going to do. Um, and, and she had mentioned 
when I go on, on the mission trips with Bridging the Gap, it has always been, oh, it's a Minnesota missionary, you know, someone's called from Mora, Minnesota and is serving in Lithuania, you know, let's go and do a mission trip and help them. And, 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 and that has been our, our mode, our MO, so to speak. But with this Africa's Hope, it's like the National Office of the District, or of the General Council of the Assemblies of God, um, the Africa's Hope, that covers all the nations in Africa, came to Minnesota and asked our director of Bridging the Gap, would you send a team to Rwanda to do this? So it is a challenge. It is a challenge to do something that has never been done before. And like Allison said, a, a lot of the women are in leadership roles, and a lot of the women are Allison's age <laughs> because they, they've been raised in orphanages. And, and they are crying and asking for help. And so we're, we're responding to that, we're going. And you know, I know that the millennial generation, a lot of us in our generation have looked at millennials and had kind of like, oh, you millennials. But I love the passion. I love the passion of the millennials because they wanna go and they wanna make a difference and they wanna change and, and it blessed my heart when, you know, it's, it's like, I, I really, you know, I wanted to go, I want to go to um, do this. I've been on a lot of mission trips. I've never been to Africa. I'm looking forward to going. But when Allison came up and she said, I feel like I'm supposed to go. That just blessed my socks off. So we're tag teaming. We're going to this. And, and um, you know, there's still a time for one or two more to go. And <laughs> so... Uh, we are asking for your support and um, to disciple the women there that are going to make a difference in that nation and change and influence their cult culture so that this thing never happens again. So if you are able, join us for um, a nacho bar and um, we are going to uh, raise our funds by, by this and uh, asking you to help us and to send us. And so um, that's it. And I'm just going to close in prayer. And we'll pray for the food, too, and have some time of fellowship. So Father God, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you that we have this technology to do so many wonderful things for your kingdom. Lord, and as the enemy would like to take these things and, and, and destroy lives and kill and steal and destroy, we are taking back the land, our own neighborhoods, our own families, our own community, our own state, our, our own nation, and, and Lord, the kingdom of God is established in every nation. We want to see that happen, Lord, the kingdom of God established in every nation on earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>